Welcome to the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries Podcast, brought to you by Interactive Legal. Here's your host, Mary Vandenack. Welcome to today's episode of Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries, a weekly podcast discussing updated legal news, as well as evolving methods of providing legal service. I'm Mary Vandenack, founder and CEO at Vandenack Weaver Trulson. I will be your host as we talk to experts from around the country about legal and tax issues, trust and estates, business succession and exit planning, legal technology, law practice management and leadership, and well-being. First, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Foster Group, Veterans Victory Housing and Small Business, and Carson Private Client. Here's a message from Interactive Legal. Technology has become an essential part of our daily lives. However, not all fields have embraced technology. Lawyers, especially estate planning attorneys, need to stay up to date with specific laws and any issues affecting taxes and wealth preservation. Implementing an automated drafting system can help lawyers spend more time with their clients and less time doing back office tasks. Estate planners and law professionals turn to Interactive Legal as their main resource for the latest planning strategies. Interactive Legal provides the most comprehensive productivity system on the market with an easy-to-use document drafting system, extensive continuing education, thought-provoking discussion forums, and more. With Interactive Legal, attorneys get to spend more time with their clients. It's time to connect, collaborate, and create. To learn more about Interactive Legal, visit interactivelegal.com. Wealth planning focuses on liquidity management and charges you a fee based on a percentage of your assets. But entrepreneurs typically invest in their business, resulting in light liquidity. That requires a unique strategy. At Carson Private Client, we provide a proactive and holistic strategy for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to alleviate the stresses and the burdens of coordinating all of those financial strategies. Carson Private Client will work with your current team of advisors to customize a strategy that manages all aspects of your life and wealth, giving you back the time to focus on what matters most. Complex needs require sophisticated solutions. Reach out to our office at 402-779-8989 to schedule your consultation. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. On today's episode, my guest is Lisa Woodford. Lisa provides coaching to demystify, help understand, and manage the brain and the way it functions on a day-to-day basis so you can improve communication, effectively manage emotions, and take control of your own happiness. Details about Lisa can be found at lisawoodford.com. I asked Lisa to participate on today's episode to discuss the humanness of anxiety. Although I'm going to mention that as we were discussing the episode, I think we've come up with 10 other topics that we're, we're both really passionate about. So you can tell we're both very passionate on the concept of well-being. And I asked her a question in relation to a situation that I'm dealing with we kind of went off on a tangent, like, well, this is an episode. So we are going to do another episode on um, avoiding self-sabotage, which is a really common uh, topic and something I think is really important for us to recognize. 
But she also introduced me to a, a concept that makes sense. I just hadn't heard it. We taught, hear a lot about emotional intelligence. And we were talking about how sometimes in conversations, we tend to listen with you know planning our answer rather than really listening and how that can sometimes interfere. And she introduced me to the concept of conversational intelligence. So I think we've added that to our list of things we plan to discuss on future episodes. But thanks a lot for joining me today, Lisa. Oh, absolutely. I'm excited. This is one of my favorite topics. So the topic we decided to address today is one that I found just really fascinating, and, and you came up with a way of couching it, and that is called the humanness of anxiety. And there's such a stigma in general about any kind of mental health issue, anxiety being one of them, that people will be in a, it's really common to be anxious, right? I'm in a new social situation. I feel a little anxious, even though I'm personally a serial extrovert, things like that. And I know that like my ask here is kind of a big ask in terms of saying, well, I'm going to ask you to give me a somewhat brief answer to a really complicated question. But I just want to start by the backdrop of clarifying for our listeners what we're talking about when we say, what is anxiety? So this is very interesting because we're all human and we have the same anatomy as far as our brains, but the way that we process anxiety is in very individual. And anxiety really gets a, um, it's kind of an umbrella statement because it's any emotion that makes your body um, have a negative reaction. So it might be frustration, anger, fear, resentment, disappointment, any of those things bring up a an elicit a response in our body and that's interpreted as anxiety so we all tend to um, label it i guess in a way but what happens then is that anxiety produces hormones such as cortisol which result in an imbalance leaving us feeling overwhelmed for hours or days or if it's chronic it can lead to severe depression and so an important point that you make there is that Anxiety is actually physical in nature. There's actually physical things going on in the body. The effect is, and I don't know if that's the right scientific way to describe it, is but I might feel nervous or I get twitters in my stomach or I'm afraid or whatever other manifestations might come out as a result of anxiety. At, at the end of the day, there's these physical causes and whether the initial factor is something happened that made me feel anxious and I had a chemical reaction or, you know, like for me, and we talked about this, I actually have a weird ver version of Hashimoto's, which is a thyroid disease where I get what they call T3 thyroid toxicosis, which can be triggered by things that I eat and that will make me very anxious beyond control. So there's a lot of there's causes and it can be cause and effect. There's the stigma because it's anxiety. But at the end of the day, whatever is going on when we have anxiety, it's still important to figure out how to manage it. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yes. So when you're talking about a disruption of hormones, and that's what happens when we get an overload of cortisol, uh, we have that initial emotional response, which creates um, vibration in the body. 
And when that feels uncomfortable, we call it anxiety. So whether that's from your, you know, physical underlying conditions or due to our thoughts, which create those uh, emotions as well, anything that disrupts our normal hormones will affect our gut health and then therefore our overall health because they're very much interrelated. There's also mental factors that cause anxiety, such as worry and danger. Those are the um, primal fight or flight responses that everyone discusses these days. But um, those send us into fight or flight mode. And when we have cortisol in our body due to fight or flight, that cortisol has a 26 to 32 hour shelf life. So you can just imagine how much cortisol is coursing through our veins after a day or a week of negative thoughts. So I just want to elaborate on the whole concept of the fight or flight concept for a minute, if you'll allow me, sure. because we have, and I know like in the study of mental, dis I don't even like the word disorders, but mental syndromes or emotional syndromes, but there's this DSM and in taking a class recently, I realized how often the DSM changes, but one of the disorders that people will refer to and I, as I think I've shared with you, I'm a have a fair degree of interest in trauma, which you mentioned in an earlier answer. And people tend to think of post-traumatic stress disorder as something that only occurs in relation to a veteran who survived the war. Mm. While yet, you know, personally, I'm a survivor of a, a school shooting and can tell you that I learned firsthand, you know, what post-traumatic stress disorder is in the context of, you know, I couldn't stand listening to fireworks for years. It was like a brutal experience to listen to fireworks go off. So there's, um, I just wanted to mention that, and I believe in your work, and, and we were talking briefly that you mentioned different types of trauma and that trauma is connected to anxiety in a whole lot of ways. And you can have basically the equivalent of post-traumatic stress disorder without having lived through a war. And obviously, you know, our, our veterans definitely experience it. That's a very important thing. The treatment to that should really be something that we focus on societally. But I just wanted to mention that it's not necessarily unique. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely. Um, Anxiety is not only created when we experience trauma, but when we ruminate on daily frustrations, those negative experiences and repeated thoughts of worry or judgment. Those seem to be more of the daily things that come up for us. But the problem is we're not addressing these on a conscious level. In other words, most of us are walking around reacting to life, but we're not processing the negative effects of it in a healthy way. So we're just coasting along, absorbing the impact, and we either don't realize it or we don't know how to process it physically and emotionally. So when you're saying that, is it kind of a factor that we think we have things under control, but we don't realize that, and, and I remember somebody said to me once, what we do during the day is all these little things come up and we throw them into the closet without realizing it. So it's sometimes like if a really big thing happens, we get a call that our mom just had a heart attack or something. That's a big thing. We're going to process it immediately. But then through the day, somebody walks in, says something that upsets us, or we get so many emails, or somebody sends us an email, whether we read it correctly, but there's all these little things, and they start to kind of pile up, and we throw them into the closet, 
And then at some point we've overstuffed the closet and it all goes pouring out. And I think that's like, okay, here it is. I've been going along feeling that I'm under control. And then, you know, we say some little thing and we just lose it. Somebody says, hello, Mary. And I'm like, oh my God, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just all upset over something little when it's really an accumulation. Is that a fair thing to say about what you're saying about anxiety? Yes. Only mine. I describe it as a pressure cooker. It's kind of like, you know, as a mom, you go through your day and you're balancing the school stuff and the home stuff and the work stuff. And with little kids, you know, any little thing builds up and builds up and builds up. And finally, someone spills juice on the floor. And it's just that's the thing that throws you over the edge. So the pressure builds up under stress. And we, you know, the cortisol builds and builds and builds. And we have to find a a way to release that and rebalance the nervous system. So this is like an amygdala hijack, that primal part of our brain that just can't take all of that pressure. It starts spinning out of control. That's when you either have a panic attack or you shut down the fight or the flight. So if we go into this fight versus flight, right? We're free. So, okay. And so, and I think you're going to give us a specific set of strategies. So I'm not trying to jump ahead on there. I just raised a question in my mind. Because I was reading this article just this morning that said, you know, is there any like choice there? Do you have, you know, can you, if you became more aware of those, like you're going through that day instead of waiting for the juice to spill on the floor, if I had a higher level of awareness of what was going on through my day, could I potentially instead have, you know, this breathing space, or I call it in my mind, we can talk about it when we do our self-sabotage. Like I have this voice in my head that like, oh yeah, overreact. Or I have a different voice in my head that sometimes will say, no, 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 catch your breath. So can we develop a strategy to get between that moment of the juice spills and the whole world comes tumbling? Absolutely. That is, that's one of the key things right there. We have to be aware and awareness is not something that comes naturally, but if you can shift your thoughts to neutral and taught, you know, just planning this, being proactive about it and having that as an initial strategy, shifting your thoughts to neutral is basically resetting your nervous system and saying, you know what, I'm an observer. I can handle this. I'm not, I don't have to be in it. We have to ground ourselves. So I'll walk you through kind of the ABC protocol for doing those kinds of things. And if we kind of get overtaken you know, I, I'm a practicer and it was really interesting because I teach both mindfulness and meditation. And I was going to share that the first time I did it to a group of attorneys. So, you know, attorneys are an interesting breed and I am one. And so I allowed for questions and answers at the end of my session. And one person got up, goes, well, mindfulness, you talk about mindfulness and meditation like they're the same thing, but they're not. And mindfulness actually started in California and not with Buddhism and all of that not being relevant to the fact that I've never allowed Q&A at the end of a session again, because I felt like it sort of took away from, to the extent somebody might've experienced something positive from that meditation. But can we use meditation, good sleep, positive practices to help us manage the chemicals that, you know, unmanaged, the cortisol is going to get out of control. 
Are there things like that? Do those things actually help? Yes. Those are all wonderful things. I fully support them. But where people kind of get off track is um, definitely those are uh, physical things that you can do and mental combined. But um, when our gut and nervous system are under constant attack from the effects of cortisol, our body needs more help to process it. Otherwise, we experience the phys- we experience the mental, physical, and emotional distress, which leads to things like depression and disease. Learning the steps to manage your emotions is simple, but initially it's important to understand how to physically expel the cortisol. Um, so breathing is great and meditation is great. But after a while, when it builds up, we need to do something that actually expels it. And we can do that through tears. That's why we feel good after we have a good cry. And for those who prefer not to cry, um, exercise, specifically strength training. And that's not just going for a run or stretching. That's all great exercise. But to release cortisol, we need to actually expel it like wringing out a sponge. So things like planks or wall sits, anything that involves tightening and releasing your muscles are quick activities to start the process. But the most effective is learning to manage your thoughts because that's where the whole process originates. We are going to take a brief break from our episode for a word from one of our sponsors. If you had a dollar for every financial advisor that just wanted your money, your financial future would already be secure. At Foster Group, our team is different. One whose focus is on you and your dreams. Together, we'll create a strategy that helps you get there wherever there is for you. Foster Group, your financial life, truly cared for. Connect with us at fostergrp.com. Foster Group's written disclosure brochure, as set forth in Part 2A of Form ADV, discusses advisory services and fees, is available at www.fostergrp.com. Okay, let's continue our episode. So what you're telling me is if I'm feeling extremely anxious that one of the things I could do to help manage that would be to do a plank. And that perhaps as I'm doing that plank, I might take some deep breaths and help me focus on what thoughts led me to that state. Is that a possible strategy? Well, I guess taking the, or doing the plank is more dealing with the cortisol that's built up in your system. So the 26 to 32 hour shelf life, you know, you've had an amygdala hijack or you've had an anxiety response after you have dealt with that, the 26 to 32 hour shelf life is the time you need to expel some of that cortisol. So you're not adding to that pressure cooker that is just next day. The next day is something to deal with. The next stage. Okay, so I need to do some immediate management, but then I need to reduce the cortisol so I'm not accumulating a high level that's going to keep me in that state. Right, right. Which also, like I know that when my cortisol gets high, I can eat 800 calories and not lose any weight too. So it has other, it's just interesting (laughs) the way the hormones. Okay, so what about, you know, positive affirmations and faking it till I make it? Okay, this is this is a really um, interesting part that a lot of people tend to get sidetracked or frustrated because positive affirmations are great mood boosters if you believe the thoughts. But that's uh, the glitch. If your subconscious does not believe what you're telling it, like, oh, I'm just I'm 
looking great today or I'm so smart, I'm going to just, you know, ace this quiz. Your subconscious is pretty mean and it will call you out on it. It will not allow you to fake it until we make it. So you have to level up your thought to something you believe and then you're able to fake it. But a lot of people are like, oh, just put a smile on and then, you know, that you'll be happy. You can't have will. We'll address that more on our episode on self-sabotage, right? Because that fake it till you make it. And I always laugh. I have a friend. We talk about it. Are the demon voices in our head? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm feeling positive. And then the demon voice says, oh, you're just making that up, right? And it just like undermines. And so that's the part. And that's kind of like as if you really listen to the conversations. Like I'd have it like to have a recording of all the self-conversations that some of us have through a day. It would be like really interesting. So what should we keep in mind when we're having anxiety? Okay. Well, first of all, it's um, rather than faking it till you make it, what helps more than that is gratitude and a willingness to challenge your negative thinking. So if we go through what I have is an ABCD protocol for my antidote to anxiety, and these need to happen in quick succession. So planning ahead for it and knowing these steps is really good to um, just a great practice. Um, So once you've been hijacked and you feel like you are having the sweaty palms and the beating heart or your stomach gets hot, you know that you're starting to have an anxiety attack. This is for the actual, um, the, the point at which you are no longer functioning well. So For A, as soon as you're aware that you're experiencing anxiety and you know that um, scary feeling or frustrating thing is throwing you into a hijack, uh, awareness is really key that you do not resist the emotion. Instead of resisting it, I want you to lean into it and name the emotion to tame it. And I'm going to like, just because you're going to do this ABCD protocol, and if you would let me, Mm-hmm. I'm going to build in an example with you as you go. So, and that I don't have, I'm one of those who is blessed to get up, be able to get up and speak in front of thousands of people. And I just don't get even the least bit anxious, mm-hmm. but that's not true for everyone. So let's just say that like last year I took a gal to an event and because I'm so fearless about that, I just assumed she was. And then I saw her, getting hit with anxiety as we are walking up to the stage. And I'm like, uh Oh, so for her, cause that's a fairly public situation. Your a would be, she needs to be aware of the anxiety that's triggering there. Or can you describe how, how the a works for her? Yeah. Let me back up just a minute because you're bringing up a really good point here. You are a logical thinker. You approach things um, logically and analytically, she isn't an emotional thinker. She feels it and can't access her brain then because her emotions are hijacking and her brain is shutting down. So for her, just being aware that she's shutting down, believe me, she knew she was shutting down. The problem is that she can't access the higher level thinking to get up and speak in front of people. You are doing that naturally. So for her, she almost needs to take a minute and go through the whole ABCD protocol and get herself grounded so she can access her brain and be at that cognitive level to go ahead and move forward. 
So I'm talking about an actual amygdala hijack, panic attack. You, you yeah, know, and I mean, I, I witnessed one. This was a real example. So I thought, well, I'm just going to ask. So she's had the, been hit by the A, and what you're telling me, she needs to go through the protocol here. So her next is going to be B. She needed, She needs, you know, five or 10 minutes to do this. And like I said, the ABCD protocol is a quick succession of things. You're aware that it's happening. So then you need to start breathing, which is B. And in breathing, it's a short, uh, it's four breaths or a count of four in, hold at the top for four, and then a count of eight through the lips, slowly breathing out. That will help to reset that nervous system for them. Um, so you know what's happening, start the breathing, but then as soon as you're breathing, you need to talk yourself through this. Your brain needs to know it's safe. So as you're breathing, you need to say, I am certain that I am safe, I am strong, and I can do hard things. I'm okay right now. And you continue the breathing, four in, hold at the top for four, eight out very slowly through the lips. That will bring the nervous system back down, get you grounded where you're at. And then the D is looking at she, because she couldn't splash cold water on her face or hold an ice cube or a cold drink or smell something pungent in that moment. For her, she needs to look around and just say, I can feel my feet on the floor. I can see the steps in front of me. I can, you know, feel my hands really grounding herself into her body as she continues to breathe and let her brain know that she's safe. Once she has a few minutes to keep that breathing and get her vagus nerve and her parasympathetic nervous system calm, then her brain will relax and she'll be able to come up and process a little bit more cognitively. And is this something that if you know you have that challenge, you can practice? Because I see a lot of people will just avoid. And I think like this particular woman that I'm thinking of was incredibly talented, had a great presence. Just So I remember being like, oh, wow, I was totally not expecting that. And had I read this protocol, I might have like handed her a cold glass of water or something right. yes. to help her. Yeah, because actually, if, what, what, if you resist it, it will persist. It will get bigger. It's like holding a beach ball underwater. If you're trying to avoid something, this emotion or whatever, and you're trying to hold it down, every time it comes up for you, you're like, no, 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 I don't want to feel that. That's uncomfortable. I'm going to push that down. That's when the pressure cooker starts and that ball gains more air and more pressure. And then you're spending a lot of time and energy trying to maintain that. Then some of what you do in coaching, right, is I remember I took a class on when my son was turning 16 and was going to learn to drive and he wasn't the most responsible 16 year old ever. So I was worried about him driving. So I dragged him to one of these driver training classes, but I took it myself. And what they said was, well, you don't want to wait until you're in a dangerous situation to practice the skills. Mm -hmm. So instead, when you're driving down the interstate, Think about things like if this car suddenly moved over, what would I do? And just like kind of imagining some of the things that could happen that would result in an accident. So it's it's practice. And so I think in part, like if somebody comes, they're working on coaching with you, you're helping them with this. Like, let's say that my friend comes in and says, you know, Lisa, I'm really having trouble. I think 
I'd like to do some public presentations. I think I have something to offer. But wow, when I start to walk up, this happens. So part of practice would be working like somebody with your like yourself in the coaching. But then ultimately, are you teaching them to self-coach? Yeah, basically, they have to understand the strategies that why it creates this kind of reaction for them and how they can manage it. So I actually teach them what's happening in the brain, the process of filtering certain thoughts and how to shift their thoughts from their basement brain where the amygdala is and the hijack process happens like a hamster on a wheel and they're ruminating over thoughts and they can't seem to get out of that to their upstairs brain where now they can access decision-making, forethought, reason, creativity. Um, they have to be able to make that shift. And the process for doing that is basically another show so or another session. Yeah, I think we have a, a few that we're going to enjoy <laughs> doing. And it was just, it was fun talking to you this morning and preparing for this because I, I think we kind of probably talked all day and never got to the podcast. But anyway, I want to thank you for joining me and ask if you have any last thoughts for our listeners today. No, I don't have. Uh, I am really excited to talk with you about this. Like you said, it's just in both of our hearts. And, you know, I, I think we really are passionate about this. But um, if any of your listeners would want help with any of these concepts and strategies, please tune in for the next episodes. And then they can visit my website for any upcoming workshops or personal coaching if they're interested which is lisawoodford.com. Right. Thanks so much for joining me today. As we reach the end of our episode, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Foster Group, Veterans Victory Housing and Small Business, and Carson Private Client. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode and stay tuned for our weekly releases. Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. Use of the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast does not create an attorney client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice, and you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have. A Huda Media Production.